You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Your pastor is a great, great friend of mine. I consider him a close friend. And Brother Bob Helms here also consider a close friend. I remember as a young pastor, um, second pastorate coming to Indiana, not knowing what to expect in a whole different world up here from North Carolina. Uh, Brother Bob Helms and Brother Daniel welcomed us and just made us right at home in the state. While we was about five and a half hours away from each other, we felt right at home. And I appreciate Brother Bob, Brother Daniel for who they are, what they mean to us. And I appreciate your church. A lot of faces have changed over the past five and a half years. Uh, I've got better looking. Your pastor's not. So that's, uh, that's okay. No, uh, I'm getting fatter by the day. I don't know what to do about it. But uh, we're glad to be with you. And I pray that God helps us tonight as we look in His Word. Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bible, turn with us. We'll be in Matthew all night tonight for the most part. And pray that God will help us tonight as we look at the uh, adventures of a disciple's life, maybe, or what to expect when we look at a disciple's life. And I pray that God will help us tonight. Matthew chapter 4, we'll start reading with verse number 18. The Bible says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. They brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. How many of you remember when you was a little kid and somebody would come up to you and ask you what you want to be when you grow up? you remember that? I remember as a little fella and uh, my friends, teachers would ask us that. And, you know, some of us, you know, all of us would answer something great. Wanted to be an astronaut or we wanted to be a fireman or president of the United States. It was, it was always something big because that's what kids are. How many of you are still, how many of you are grown and still trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up? I mean, I, we fall there too, do we not? My wife's in school getting ready to graduate, believe it or not. And, she, and she's ancient. I mean, she's old. And I'm kidding. She's not here tonight, so I can say that. Don't put this out on video on Facebook, all right? Uh, but as we look at this, it's always something big that we dream up. It's something that, that we dream about that we want to be. It's like the little fellow that was in school one time, and his teacher asked him, she said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he looked at her and thought for a minute, and he looked back and he said, I want to be possible. And she looked at him and she said, what do you mean you want to be possible? He said, well, he said, my mama tells me all the time that I'm impossible, so I want to be possible when I grow up. Most of us would amen that and say, we just want to be possible when we grow up, if you would. 
I've never heard a kid, when I've been asked that, say, well, when I want to grow up, when I grow up, I just want to be a drifter or I want to be a bum. I want to, you know, I, I, I don't, you just don't want to hear that in today's world. That's not what you want to hear and that's not what you're going to hear. If we ask any of our little children here tonight what they wanted to be when they grow up, nobody grows up thinking that 50 years from now, I hope my life's miserable. Like, we just don't think that way, do we? I hope my life amounts to nothing. I mean, you just don't hear that. And it don't matter where, what stage of life we're in, we always don't think like that. That's just something we want to do better tomorrow, even if we think that's not possible. Now, I, we look at that, and, and why don't we answer that way? The reason we don't answer that way, I believe, is because God's wired us for something better than just ordinary. He's wired us to be more than just motionless people that go through life. He wired us for fellowship and relationship with Him. In God's design, He, he created us as an original masterpiece so to do something wonderful with our life as God would have us do that. Now, I'm not talking about greatness as many people count greatness today. I'm not talking about a great business or a great house or a great portfolio. I'm not talking about that kind of greatness in our life this evening. What we're looking at tonight is a biblical greatness, a greatness in the eyes of God, if you will, that as Brother Helms prayed, that when life is over and we stand before God, that God would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Knowing that we've done something significant with our life, that our life had some influence somewhere for the glory of God. Now, I don't know a better illustration of how God takes ordinary people and brings about the extraordinary in their life than looking at the life of the twelve disciples that He called while He walked the earth. These verses in Matthew chapter 4 that we read tell us of the calling of some of these disciples. The Bible doesn't tell us in these verses the motivation for them laying aside their life and following Jesus. It says nothing about that. As a matter of fact, the Bible just tells us a little bit about their life up until this point, if you want the truth about it. Now one would think, I would think, that if the Creator God of the universe was choosing people to walk with Him in this world, that, that He would choose the brightest people. That He might choose the most religious people. That He might even choose the most gifted speakers of that day. But nothing could have been further from the truth when you look at these twelve people that God called to follow Him. As you study the disciples, you'll soon find out that these men were nowhere close to being divine. They were not the cream of the crop of their day. They weren't the highest, the brightest, the noblest, or the best. They wasn't the most educated, the most highly skilled, the most humanly gifted speakers of that day. The truth is, the only thing that stood out among them at all is that all twelve of them were simply ordinary men. Ordinary men. While as many of seven of them may have been fishermen, one of them was a zealot, another was a tax collector. You have men here trying to overthrow the government, and you have men here that's working for the government. Some may have been tradesmen, some may have been craftsmen, some may have been farmers of some kind. They're all virtually from Galilee, a small town there, just regular people from a regular town that God walks by and says, simply follow me. What we do know about these men is this. They were very prone to make mistakes. They had a lot of misjudgments in their life, misunderstandings among themselves. 
bad attitudes, lapses of faith, a bitter failure, argumentative amongst each other, and no more so than their leader Peter that we know of. Jesus remarked that they were slow learners, that they were spiritually dense, and that they were pretty much blockheads. That's my version of the Bible. They were just hardheads that couldn't learn and wouldn't learn what He was trying to tell them sometimes in life. Can I say simply, without hurting our feelings today, these people were just like many of me, you and I this, this tonight. Just like us. If I went around the room and said, how many of you are hardheads tonight? You might not raise your hand, but your spouse would for you probably. I went around the room tonight and say, how many of us have had misjudgments in our life? How many of us have had wrong attitudes from time to time? How many of us are argumentative tonight? These disciples were a perfect representation of you and I tonight and what God can do in just ordinary people if ordinary people will simply let God do what God wants to do in their life. All throughout church history, God has chosen some of the most common people to do some of the most extraordinary things that God had planned. For example, when we think of the greatest evangelist of modern times, we think maybe first of of Dr. Billy Graham, I don't know. But there were two other great evangelists before his time in the 19th and 20th century whom God used mightily. Neither of these men were what you and I would probably have chosen to reach thousands of people, but it's exactly who God was looking for. One of them was named Billy Sunday, who, who was a professional baseball player until 1891. He still holds the major league record for the fastest man from home plate to home plate, believe it or not. Going around first base, second base, third place in home, he still holds the record for the fastest time going around those bases. But in uh, he became an evangelist, and through the 1930s, his rough hewn and athletic mannerisms and his jumping around around the pulpit and how athletic he was was strange to the church of that day. Yet God used him and his personality and who Billy Sunday was to reach thousands of people for Christ. Before Billy Sunday, though, there was a man by the name of Dwight L. Moody who preached throughout America and the British Isles. The way he misused the English language might remind you of me tonight because I'm not the, the best English speaker, if you will. And he said he was absolute reproach to the English language. But his poor grammar, lack of eloquence, didn't stand in the way of him preaching the gospel. In fact, his plain spoken delivery was what appealed to the common people as they could understand what he said and they responded in mass to his preaching because God used who he was. I believe we can all take comfort tonight in knowing that from the ordinary people of life and from the ordinary people we see in Scripture that God can use the ordinary to do some extraordinary things in the towns and cities that God has placed us. These were plain people, ordinary people, just like you and me. Yet God used them in some great ways. And I can tell you tonight with a great confidence because I know who I am. I know who some of these other people are. I know who Brother Daniel is, though as great a man as he is. Brother Helms, who he is, though as great a man as he is. That you don't have to reach a certain level of sophistication, of preparation, before God can use you also to reach people for Jesus Christ. So while we don't know everything about these men, we do know this. They were ordinary, hard-working people just like you and I that God walked along one day and said, follow me. 
follow me. What we do know about these men, though, is what verse 20 tells us about. And this is where their story really begins. We do know that Jesus walked by and said, follow me, and these men simply accepted an invitation to follow him. That's deep, is it not? You say, what changed in their life? God changed their life. You say, what changed in their day by day? They chose to follow God. I don't know what motivated them to do that. I don't know where they were at in their life. But what we know about the story of these disciples is that verse 20, their life changed and it went in a new direction that the New Testament is getting ready to tell us about. As they followed the invitation of Jesus, their life would never be the same. The Bible says in Matthew 4, in the verses we read, that Jesus traveled throughout Galilee. He was teaching in the synagogues. He was talking to people everywhere. He was preaching good news about the kingdom. And news about Him began to spread far and wide throughout Galilee. And these men were there walking right beside Him. Large crowds began to follow Him wherever He went. Notice in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, what the Bible says. The Bible says, In seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened the mouth and taught them, saying... Now what we find here is the beginning of Jesus teaching on a hillside. We know it here in, in common day as, a, as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus had called the disciples, notice the timeline, in the end of Matthew chapter 4, He began preaching, going a couple places, and then we see Him going up to a hillside. Here, beginning with the Beatitudes. And I just imagine the disciples just taking it all in, like little sponges, if you will. All of this was new to them, this following Jesus stuff. All of this was new to them, a new life in front of them. And here they were, sitting on a hillside, listening to Jesus, the very Son of God, God in the flesh, talk about Scripture to them and all these other people. These disciples were learning all they could about God. The more they walked with Jesus, traveled with Jesus, and looked to Jesus, the more they took in, and the more they they saw lives changed all around them. And all they were doing was walking with God. Man, you talk about some exciting times. Wouldn't you like to have been one of those disciples just wandering around the hillside with Jesus and, and walking up on a man that's palsied and, and Jesus touching him and healing him and watching that man walk away and, and walking over here and there's another one sick and Jesus touching them and there they go walking away whole and you all you're doing just walking along for the ride. You know, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm watching Jesus do his thing. And man, that had to be exciting, if you will. You go from relative obscurity. You're a fisherman out on the sea one day, probably blown by nobody, if you will, to all of a sudden you're listening to Jesus, God in the flesh, teaching on a hillside out here. There probably had to be some excitement in those disciples' lives. Some enthusiasm. This man's words were wonderful. His life was matchless. And they're just watching and following Jesus All along the way. Can we stop right here and just praise the Lord for a minute? Not only what He did for His disciples, but what He's done for us also. 
how He's changed our life and how we just get to watch Him do His thing all the time and how, is, how we can just sit back and watch God work in people's lives and how He still ch- saves lives today and changes lives today and, and does everything that we need Him to do. He's still a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's still worthy to be praised today and lifted up. He's still doing everything He needs to do today. He's worthy to be praised. I told you already that I rejoice in the new faces I see at Faith Church here tonight. I see all of Daniel's Facebook videos and about salvations, and I see the baptisms you do, and I know you move to two services on a Sunday, and I keep up with you. It's hard not to. Daniel puts so much stuff on Facebook that, I mean, I mean, I don't know how you miss it. You know, I tried to block him nine times and it ain't worked yet. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, every time you get on, he's got something new on there. You ever notice? Do you notice that? I'm not even a member of your church, man. I'm telling you. (laughs) Matter of fact, let me ask you this tonight. If you've been following Jesus for less than five years tonight, would you just raise your hand? Several hands up all over the place. Man, what excitement. Life changed. I've been following the Lord. I accepted Christ as Savior in July of 1990. 18-year-old boy, worthless. Moved out when I was 15 from mom and dad. Got in all sorts of trouble. Any trouble that would be found, I found it. And yet Jesus walked by my way one day. And I can say, it's a, I can rejoice with you that's been saved and following Jesus just for a few years. But can we that's been saved for longer than a few years not also rejoice at what God's done for us also? Can you remember where you were when God found you and walked by your way that day and just looked at us and said, follow me? And we took off after Him. Man, there's something exciting about that. Following Jesus. These disciples had it going on, did they not? Man, what a great gig. They followed Jesus around. They're sitting on the hillside listening to Him teach. But life was about to change for them yet again. You see, because if we're going to be a real disciple of Jesus, what we'll find out is in the life of a disciple, we'll sometimes be placed in scary situations. You say, what's that mean, Brother James? Well, flip over to verse chapter number 8, if you will. In chapter number 8, we find in verse 1, the Bible says, when he was come down from the mountain... Great multitudes followed him. So for three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus has been teaching on the hillside, talking about all of these great truths that we have today. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, I mean just tremendous truths that we have. What we've read so far about the disciples is that Jesus come by and said, follow me, and boy, they said, yes, we're going to follow Jesus. They watched Him as He did all types of miracles and all types of healings and and just spoke great words to people as they followed Him around. They followed Him up to a hillside and I can imagine them uh, uh, sitting out there on the hillside listening and learning. Maybe laying back in the grass and pulling a blade of grass and eating on it, you know. I don't know if you do that here. We did that in North Carolina. We didn't have much food, so we laid around and eat grass. But you just lay back and just lay back and enjoy the sunny day. And, I mean, prop up on a rock and listen to Jesus teach. How much better can life get than this? Listening to God teach on the hillside. 
But you see, Jesus had not just called them to sit beside Him and pick flowers on a hillside. Ministry was in their future. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, when He had come down from the mountain, look at verse number 2. Behold, there come a leper and worshipped Him, saying, Lord, if Thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. Right out of the gate. They come off a hillside listening to Jesus talk. And right out of the gate, here comes somebody that they're not supposed to be in contact with at all. A leper. We know the story of lepers. You know the story of lepers in Scripture. They were to be outcasts from the people. They couldn't be around the common people. And yet here comes one up to Jesus and to the disciples. And I can imagine in their mind them walking away a little bit saying, Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Here comes a leper. Let's keep this man away from us because this man can make us sick if we're not careful. And according to, to Jewish rules, we're not supposed to be around this man. So, so let's back up a little bit because Jesus, we need to go back up to the hillside and he'll hear some more teaching, not get down here around the lepers. Move on though a little bit. Jesus heals the leper. Verses they're following, and then in verses 5 through 7, notice what the Bible says. <clears throat> and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there come unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant, lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Jesus, I don't know what's happening here now. You just touched a leper over here, somebody we're not supposed to be around, and now we're going to a Roman centurion's home who's probably going to try to kill us when we get there. And here we are going to his home, and you say you're going to heal his daughter also, or his servant there, and God, God, what's going on around here? And we move on. Verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house... Well, wait a minute, let's back up. Verses 5 through 7. When Jesus entered Capernaum, I just said that and didn't. I'm sorry. Verse 14, 15. When Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. I mean, these disciples, here they are. We just up on a hillside picking flowers, listening to Jesus teach, and now we're here with the lepers. We're here with the palsy, the paralytics. Now our family's sick, Lord. I mean, God, we're following you. This stuff ain't supposed to happen to our families, is it? I mean, this is Peter's mother-in-law of all. I mean, I mean, Lord, this shouldn't happen to Peter's mother-in-law if we're following you. Verse 16 goes on and says, when evening, and, when, and the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. I mean, really, Jesus is getting a little too much here. Lepers, family sickness, now you have us around demons also. Demon-possessed. It wasn't this bad when I was on the boat, Lord. I didn't have to deal with these people. I didn't have to deal with them. Verses 23 through 25, notice with me. They get through all that, the Bible says, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. I mean, Lord, now we're about to drown. 
and you're asleep. I don't know if you've been following along or not, but I'm still in chapter 8. You notice that? Look in verse number 28. Bible says, And when he was come to the other side of the, of, of the, into the country of the Gurgonese, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, seeding fear so that no man might pass by that way. We know this story. Jesus cast out the demons. They went into the swine, the deviled ham, run off the side of the committed pig aside off the side of the mountain there. And I mean, man, what a great story it is. But put yourself in these disciples' shoes. Lord called us to follow Him. <clears throat> we watched Him do a lot of things. Man, it was wonderful. We went to the hillside. Jesus taught for a while. Man, it was great. That's not what Jesus had called them just to do, though. Sure, they needed teaching. Sure, they needed to hear God's words. But Jesus had called them far more than to just sit there and hear teaching. He had called them to be involved in people's lives and ministry. You say, well, that's great, Brother James. I believe that. Notice who he called them to be involved with, though. Lepers. That's bad stuff, man. The paralytics, paralyzed. That's bad stuff. Family sickness. Nobody wants that, Lord. Demon-possessed men. And then in verse 34, you find the Bible saying, Behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Now the people are wanting rid of him. Lord, we followed you, and in just a short amount of time, we're going from lepers to paralyzed people to family sickness to about being drowned to demon possessed men to now the religious leaders are chasing us out of town. Man, you talk about moving from excitement to discomfort in a whole big hurry. We're finding out what ministry is now. You see, it's one thing to sit on a hillside and listen to Jesus teach, it's another thing to follow Jesus when Jesus goes about his business. It's one thing to sit in church and hear the preacher preach. It's another thing to follow God when God calls us to go outside this place into some very scary situations. Very scary situations. You want a life well lived? Be afraid a little bit. Put yourself in some scary situations for the Lord. Jesus did this with the disciples all the time in the New Testament. He put them in places they would have never went by themselves, but it's exactly where God wanted them to go. I shared a couple stories with you in chapter 8 here. What happened to these guys? Did they turn and run? No. These 12 men, 11, not counting Judas, changed the world as we know it today. Why? Because God opened their eyes to the world around them, and it was a little bit scary. Daniel told you that our ministries are very similar, and it is now where I'm at in Ashland, Kentucky, right outside of Huntington, West Virginia. If you have Netflix, you can watch the movie Heroin on Netflix, which talks about West Huntington, West Virginia, as the opioid leader of, the America, of America. Opioids there everywhere. Heroin all over the place. Murders there because of Detroit dealers coming down and, and having gang wars down there in West Huntington, right across a river, the Ohio River from Ashland, Kentucky. 
West Huntington's about four miles from my church building where it sits right there. That creeps over into South Ashland, if you will. All of that comes over. On Wednesday night right now, I'm, we're in the middle of a vision series at our church. And this, this Sunday, I'm going to be telling our church the vision for the next five years for our church. And it all deals with the kids and families right around us in South Ashland that I could take a rock and, and hit their homes with right from the steeple of our church. And right from the steeple of our church, let me tell you what we have. We have little two- and four-year-old kids that on Wednesday night walk out of their home, walk down busy streets, and come to our church by themselves, or they did until we find out they were coming by themselves. You say, where's their parents at, James? Addicted? Troubled? Prison? All over the place? May not know where they're at? We've got teenagers coming that come just for a grilled cheese sandwich because they won't have anything to eat there that evening. Had a teenager this past Wednesday night, excuse me, tell, tell me and a teacher that he was glad he come to church that night because all that was going on in his house was his mama and brother was snorting white powder and had needles sticking in their arms. It's a scary situation to get involved in ministry But can I tell you, Chandler Church, that's exactly where God has put you and I tonight is dealing with these families that are troubled, that are hurting. God wants us right in the middle of them sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know it or not, but at my church, a good free will Baptist family don't just walk in the doors all the time. I'm in a place that's not growing. There's no jobs there. There's about 20,000 people in our area, if you will, and all those people are, are, are there, they grew up there, and they've been there their entire life for the most part. Most of the church people are settled in church homes. And we're not out trying to get other church members. So what we have coming in our church is families that Satan have torn apart and put together and just tore apart again. Blended families all over the place. Kids that don't know who their mom and dad are. Parents that don't know where their children are. Grandparents that hadn't seen their grown kids in years. Families that's just been torn asunder by Satan and they're coming to the church looking for help. And I ask us, do we have a God that can help them? Absolutely we do. You see, the question's not, do we have a God that can help them? The question is, does God still have disciples that's willing to follow Him and get involved in these ministries? You say, James, that's just not the ministry that sounds good to me. Can I tell you that scary situations in ministry forces spiritual growth in our life? I pastored for about 16 years now, Daniel. Before that, I was youth and associate pastor for since 1991. I can't count like that, so I told you I wasn't the brightest, so you figure that up sometime. Let me know what it is. And I tell you, in the past two years, I've been forced to grow more in my personal life than I have in a long time. I got a bachelor's degree in Bible. I know some of the big words, can't pronounce any of them. But I've been around church for a long, long time. And I'm telling you, I've had questions asked of me of kids this big that's brought me to my knees 
and made me study Scripture to have a good answer to tell them. Questions that I would have never thought of when I was that age. Things that these kids should never have to deal with at that age, though they live with it day after day after day. And can I tell you that Ashland's not an island to itself? I dare say Chandler's filled with families just like this also. I dare say some of us were those families till the Lord passed by our way. I dare say right now we know of some families that's in that very situation. That's needing a God, our God, the God, to pass by their way. And God has called us to take the message to them. Ministry can be scary. Ministry can be dirty. The people God has called us to minister to are sometimes hard to deal with. They're sometimes not wanting to hear too much. They're sometimes people that you normally might not deal with on a day-by-day basis or normally might not even choose to deal with on a day-by-day basis. But it's exactly who God's put us here to talk with and to love and to reach out to with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to the lost, Jesus said. Touch the untouchables. Go to those that don't know about God. And if I was to say to you today, I I challenge you to go out to the lost today, some of us would check out right now. We don't want to do that. It's too scary. There's too many things out there that could come up that I don't know the answer to. Or the scariest, yes, yet you're telling me to go talk to my family, Pastor. I cannot do that. And yet that's exactly what we find Jesus dealing with in Matthew chapter 8. Not only was it the demon-possessed over here, not only was it the leper over there, it was Peter's family also that Jesus wanted to visit with, that Jesus had an answer for. Jesus is the answer we need. I'd like to challenge you this week to put yourself in a scary situation. You say, that mean go around where there's guns and this and that? Wisdom plays in here a little bit, understand that. I can tell you a story tonight. I don't know how much time I got. I'll hurry here. I was a young preacher and uh, Pastor John Cannon, he's in St. Louis now, Mascoot O'Fallon, Illinois, pastoring. And he, uh, he's fell at one me to the Lord, if, in, if you would. And, and when I first knelt my call to preach, I was still rough, man. I, was, I, I hadn't been saved very long. And uh, uh, man, I had a lot of learning to do in my life. A lot of learning. And uh, that old flesh still riled up from time to time. If you understand what I'm saying, I wasn't as tactful as I needed to be. Well, John called me and he got a call from a lady wanting, us, wanting him to come witness to her husband. So he called me. I said, all right, I'll go with you. He said, all right. So we get up there and what we find is a man outside running around his house. He, was, he had been drinking and, and was probably a little, you know, a little um, wasted a little bit, if you will. And he come running around, didn't have a shirt on, didn't have socks on, didn't have nothing, you know, he had blue jeans on, that was it. And he come up and he stopped and he looked at us. He said, who are you two fellas? And his wife come out and she said, this, this is the preacher, I called him to come talk to you. I said, oh my goodness, he didn't he know he was coming. <clears throat> he turned around and he said, i tell you what, he said, I don't like preachers. He said, I hate preachers, as a matter of fact. And I look at John, I'm going to have to knock this fella out, that's what I'm going to have to do. I mean... <laughs> 
That's how spiritual I was. Okay, this fellow makes a move. He's going. I'm going. I'm going to take him. And John just nowhere. You know. Well, this fellow turns around to walk in his house, and he's got two pistols sticking out of his pants right here. I ain't going to take this fellow. I'm going to take off running. You know what I'm saying? My 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 ministry changed a little bit midstream right there. Went in, started talking to him, and he settled down. Had a good talk. He didn't get saved that night. About nine months later, he did at church. Scary situations. For most of us, God won't call you to do that. And I say God's going to put you in ministry. What we think is what my youngest girl always thought was that if she got involved in ministry, she's 16 now, but God was going to send her to the deepest, darkest jungle in Africa to do ministry. And it took me years to get her settled down saying, God can use you right where you're at. Yes, He called some to go to Africa, but believe it or not, He called some to stay right in Chandler and deal with the people around you on a day-by-day basis. And the life of a disciple will be placed in some scary situations. In the life of a disciple, Jesus will also ask you to replace convenience with obedience. I don't know what these disciples' lives were like, but I have to say it was probably convenient or ordinary to them. Fishing then, from what scholars say, was a hard job, but it was a job that these men knew well. Tax collecting might have been a hard job, but it was one that Matthew had done for a long time probably. These men were settled in their life, and their life was planned out. They would go fishing during the day. They would come home, cook their fish, watch their wife cook their fish, however they did it, eat their fish, spend a little time with the family, mend the nets, and go back tomorrow fishing again. Their life was pretty set. Well, the truth about it, most of our lives are pretty set also. We've got our day planned out, and, and I, I do appreciate you, as Brother Daniel said, being out for revival this week. I got to see some clips of it during the week and, and had some great speakers. I'm honored to be here tonight in, in a line of that. But I thank you for being here, making time for this, because believe it or not, this is not ordinary this week anymore in our churches. Why? Because we have convenient lives even anymore. We have convenient lives. So here they are, in the middle of their day, out fishing. Regular day, regular nets. Jesus walks by right in the middle of their convenience and says, follow me. He asked them to replace that convenience with obedience to Him. Now some of us ain't going to get too excited about this point. This is going to mess with us a little bit. Excuse that word, but that's North Carolina word. I don't know what else. It's going, to, it's going to bother us a little bit. If you're honest, it's going to cause us to reflect and look inside a little bit and look at our life because we all love convenience in our life. We love planning our day the way we want to plan it. We love doing what we want to do in our life. And we don't want anybody to upset that not even our families, if you will, let alone somebody else that we don't even know. We love convenience. But can I tell you that in the ministry of a disciple, convenience many times is the opposite of obedience. It's the opposite. The longer I preach and the more people I run into, I have a lot of... uh, I meet a lot of college kids now. 
And they come up to me, and a lot of them mean well, and I'm, I'm not putting down our college kids. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just telling you the question they ask. And it seems like the question that they ask and want to know of is, is what have I studied lately that's deep? Tell us something deep, preacher. Tell me something deep about the Bible. Tell me something deep about the Word of God. Let me know the deep secrets of the Bible. And, and you know, use more Greek, preacher, and teach me this deep stuff, if you will. What a lot of people want is just an illusion of deep, if you will. They want to be thinking about this stuff, not really acting on anything, just thinking about this stuff. And they think that going to different places and hearing different things is going to make them deep in the study of God's Word. Can I tell you, after years of ministry, what I believe the deepest thing you can find in God's Word is? What the Bible describes as deep is one word. It's obedience. Obedience. Luke said about Jesus, he said, but he said, more than that, blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it. John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In 1 John, he said, by this we know that we, we, we love the, and the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. A disciple's life is based around God's instructions and following God in obedience. Now, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have preached this message had Daniel called me on Monday. You say, well, why not, James? Because I was, I was thinking coming down the road that this is the last night of revival. And surely by Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, you've heard some messages that dealt with us in our lives, and hopefully we're closer to God today than we were Sunday. Understand what I'm saying? So this message is not just about getting right with God. It's about following God in the days ahead so that revival continues. How does that happen? When we leave our convenience, we leave our plans behind a little bit, and we say, God, it's okay if you want to change my plans this evening to go see somebody. God, it's all right if, if you want me to turn the TV off right here and, and call somebody. God, it's okay if, if I need to lay the phone down from Facebook and Daniel's post on here and, and, and go talk to somebody out here. That's okay. Now I'm just aggravating him. What God wants is for us to obey Him. Follow me has the incantation, or however that word is. It, it has the meaning to me that if I'm following Daniel, I'm not going the way I want to go. Is that what that means to you? When Jesus says to follow me, He's not saying that I have an option of going some other way. If I'm going to follow Him, I'm going to follow Him. That's deep stuff, by the way, in the Bible. It's called obedience. And it's foreign. It's a foreign thought to so many Christians today. Follow God. Let me finish up here. The Bible tells us something great here, though. Nowhere in chapter 8 did I read that God wanted the disciples to do much of anything except what? Follow Him. They come up to the leper. Does Jesus tell them to 
Go save the leper? Nope. Who saves the leper? Jesus. Good answer. That's going to be the answer for all these questions if you're bad at test, all right? He goes up to the paralytic. Who heals the paralytic? Very good. You quick learners, ain't you? The demon-possessed people come running out. Here they are, man, legion here. I mean, thousands of demons in them, and the disciples are back here. Jesus said, Peter, go take care of that. No. Who took care of that? Jesus. In the disciples' life, we get to follow Him and watch Him work in our life and the lives of others. For several years after I got saved, as I studied the Bible, I studied it with an unknown bias or misunderstanding, I believe, because I would read this and I would say, man, how wonderful it would have been to be a disciple. Boy, how I would have loved to have been one that God chose to follow Him around and, and watch Him do these things. And I mean, my goodness, how, would that not have been wonderful just to be on the hillside listening to Jesus teach and, and to follow Him around and see Him cast out demons and, and see Him heal these people and all these people rejoicing over what Jesus had done. Man, that would be wonderful, would it not? I thought I was missing something in my life. And what happened was I almost missed what Jesus was doing in my life and I almost missed what Jesus was doing in the lives of others because let me show you something. Will you help me as I finish up here tonight? If I promise you I'm finishing, will you help me? Thank you, Daniel. Matthew chapter 8. Will you turn back there with me? The Bible says in verses 1 and 2 that when he come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Behold, there come a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou will, thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand, touched him, saying, I will be thou clean, be thou clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I'm going to ask some personal questions here, and I hope you'll be honest. Has anyone here ever seen a leper cleansed? Let me word it. In today's terms, okay? How many here has seen a person with the disease of addiction touched by God, saved, and their life be changed? Stand up. Don't you stand up? Matthew 8, verses 5 through 7, tells us about a paralytic, paralyzed, coming to Jesus. How many here has seen someone paralyzed through depression, fear, or anxiety, fear of tomorrow, fear of their past, be touched and healed by Jesus. Would you stand up? How many here we find out that they touched a family member, has had a family member that you lifted up in prayer, see God touch and heal, or touch and do something that you've asked Him to do? Please stand up. Has anyone here... Or maybe you were the person that was like the demon-possessed man, and though we might not have been demon-possessed, we were lost. And our friends were lost. Our family was lost. And we wondered if they would ever get saved. And yet one day, God passed by their way and saved them. Would you stand up? Maybe you're here tonight, and you've been in a trial, in a storm, like these disciples have been, yet Jesus... He's right where He's always been. 
And He spoke, Peace be still to your storms as well. Stand up. Look around you tonight, church. Seems to me that 2019, God's still investing in some disciples. It seems to me that everything we read in Matthew 8, God still does today. Seems to me that our family and friends could be the very ones that's pictured here in Matthew 8. Seems to me at our town, here at Chandler, your town here at Chandler, my town at Ashland, and those people there that's struggling with the addictions and struggling with the family issues and struggling with the life issues and man, their life's falling apart and instead of pointing back and, and pointing at them and saying, that's what you deserve for the choices you make, how about us get serious with God and say, God, give me a word to help them turn to you. That's why God has us here. You say, James, I'm here to hear Brother Daniel teach. That's good things. Sit on that hillside. Every Sunday, every chance you get. But remember, God's called you for far more than a hillside. He's called you for those people that you're about to meet tomorrow. As the musicians come, every head bowed. Father.